Good morning. I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Monday, February 6. A new California law requires employers to reveal pay ranges. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. President Joe Biden is giving his 2023 State of the Union address tomorrow. Ahead of his address, the president has renewed calls for political unity. Some San Diegans plan to be in D.C. for the address. Representative Scott Peters is expected to have an Afghan refugee as his guest to highlight issues Afghan asylum seekers have encountered. Listen to the State of the Union at 6 p.m. on 89.5 FM or live stream it on our website, kpbs.org. South County Assemblymember David Alvarez will be introducing legislation at the state capitol today. The legislation would prevent cities and counties from adopting rules and regulations that ban lowrider cruising. Lowrider groups in San Diego County have been trying to get National City to drop its ban for decades. Alvarez's office says the bill encourages cities to repeal their bans and recognize that cruising holds cultural significance for many communities, especially Mexican-Americans. You can now ride Amtrak trains on the weekends. Its weekend passenger service between San Diego and Orange Counties resumed over the weekend. The service was suspended back in September to begin a track stabilization project at San Clemente. The project is still underway and is expected to be done by the end of March. No date has been announced yet for when weekday passenger service will resume. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. California enacted a law that requires employers to post a pay range of jobs they're seeking applicants for. It's part of a national movement toward pay transparency. But does making salaries public empower low-wage workers, or does it just put privacy at risk? KPBS SciTech reporter Thomas Fudge has the story. On a cool, sunny January noon hour, Gustavo Arcia is having a lunch to go with his son near the Prado Bridge in Balboa Park. He used to manage a company that worked on government contracts. I asked him whether he thought that making people's salaries public was an invasion of privacy. I think it's up to people. It's up to people whether they think that it touches something very personal to them. For me, I don't care. Public opinion on the subject is definitely mixed. 
University of San Diego law professor Aurelie Lobel says laws that keep salary information private go too far, and they run contrary to the public interest. We've seen also over the years privacy used not just as the shield but as a sword to hide from public accountability. Privacy oftentimes serves the more powerful. For example, the gender and racial pay gaps have been very stagnant because people basically don't know that they're underpaid. Lobel, author of a book called The Equality Machine, adds that open information allows us to make better and more equitable decisions in workplaces. Elizabeth Lyons is a professor of management at UC San Diego. She has studied the effects of pay transparency on gender-based pay gaps, gaps that she says are clearly a problem. We might think it's unfair, but beyond that, it impacts women's kind of willingness to enter and stay in the labor market. So that has implications for the economy as a whole. Lyons took a look at a situation where women did know they were earning less. A law in the Canadian province of Ontario required all organizations that receive government funding to make public the name, position, and salary of those making over $100,000. She told KPBS Midday Edition the law did create more pay equity in the Ontario universities that she examined, raising female pay by about 4%, but not for the reasons they expected. They did not see individual women acting empowered and negotiating for higher pay. Organizations are proactively reducing gender pay gaps in ways that we think are consistent with kind of reputation management. In other words, the organizations corrected the pay gaps because they were worried about their public image. Critics of pay transparency say it's fraught with difficulty. Pam Dixon is a privacy advocate and founder of the World Privacy Forum. She says revealing the fact that somebody is paid poorly may hurt them, not empower them. She says if you're classified as poor, it's harder to get good terms when you buy something. And when they apply for a job? Employers will look at their past pay and say, oh, well, this was what you were paid in X work. We're going to continue to pay you along these incremental lines when that's not what's needed. What's needed is real pay equity. Back in Balboa Park, people I spoke with said, when you enter the labor market, you should know what the going rate of pay is. That gives you leverage. Benjamin Arcia told me the price of labor should be regarded in the same way as prices of consumer goods. You need transparency to make comparisons. So I, I think that just as technology increased the transparency in real estate or in other realms, we're just seeing communications technology take place in, in the labor market as well. Felicia, who didn't give her last name, said she's seen workplaces where knowing the salaries of your fellow workers has led to low morale and hard feelings. The only people that have shared their salary with me is if they've already left the company I was working with and they're at another company. Then they feel comfortable because it's not as uh, competitive, I guess. Okay, and how much money do you make? I don't say. (laughs) (laughs) Studies estimate American women earn 84 cents for every dollar that a man makes. Thomas Fudge, KPBS News. A longtime San Diego news anchor is getting her day in court today. She's suing her former employer for gender and age discrimination. KPBS reporter Kitty Alvarado talked with Sandra Moss about her case against the owners of KUSI-TV. It's been almost four years since Sandra Moss signed off the air, but Moss claims that was not her choice, that she was fired. 
She's suing her former employer, McKinnon Broadcasting, accusing them of violating California's Equal Pay Act and age discrimination law. I could walk away silently and bury my humiliation and shame over losing my job in such a disrespectful, disappointing way. Or I could share my story and take back my power and try to make a difference for other women in the workplace. Moss would not discuss financial details, but court documents show she made $80,000 less a year than her co-anchor. Moss says she never imagined her nearly 40 years in broadcasting would end like this. It's been really tough, but I'm hoping that the new chapter will be a better ending for me. We reached out to KUSI. They did not return our calls for comment. Kitty Alvarado, KPBS News. SB9 was touted as a breakthrough in California's efforts to boost its housing supply, but a new report says the law has spurred very little new construction after being in effect for a year. Mohammed Alamildin is a policy associate with the Turner Center for Housing Innovation at UC Berkeley. He spoke with KPBS reporter Andrew Bowen about the report. Can you remind us exactly what SB9 was intended to do? SB9 was intended to do two things. Number one, it was to open up the 70% of urban land that's zoned for single family and allowing people that own a home to split their lot and they could either sell the other side of the property, the other side of the lot, or they could um, build on it, a duplex or a single home with an ADU or just a single home. It was meant to basically use existing land to build smaller housing structures that are just a little bit more affordable for entry-level homeownership opportunities. And your study looked at the impacts of the law in its first year. So tell me about what the study area was that you focused on and what did you find? We asked 13 jurisdictions all across California about how many applications they had for lot splits, how many have been approved, how many SB9 unit applications were received, and how many SB9 units were approved. And our findings were that thus far, the law has had little to no effect to the production of housing in California. And it it leads us to believe that there needs to be further reforms to the law for it to be better utilized by residents in California. So San Diego has had an especially weak response to SB9. Not many applications filed, none of them approved so far. And one of the reasons your study found was that uh, the accessory dwelling unit program in the city is more generous and people might be just more interested in building more accessory dwelling units than, uh, you know, splitting their lot and building a duplex. Are there advantages to using SB9 for a duplex instead of accessory dwelling units. For example, would an SB9 project be likelier to produce families for housing with children as opposed to ADUs, which might be more you know, geared towards uh, single adults? Yes, so Senate Bill 9 units in San Diego, as well as their ADU policies really help. San Diego has chosen to implement the law and to bolster housing production for both. And Senate Bill 9's benefit is that this lot split could lead to more units for home ownership and for larger sized homes for families to live in, especially in comparison with accessory dwelling units that are typically 750 square feet 
Um, Senate Bill 9, the standards adopted in San Diego, allow for much larger homes to be built. Unfortunately, it's a lot cheaper for a homeowner to build an ADU. There's limited impact fees. There are guaranteed timelines. If a small developer wants to build an ADU on a single-family home, they can because there isn't an owner occupancy requirement. The typical homeowner in San Diego and in a lot of the state can't really afford to split their lot and then build two more units. They need some sort of assistance or there needs to be more of a guarantee implemented at the state or local level that permits are going to be approved at a certain time. Really, like to get the guesswork out of Senate Bill 9 is the best way for us to increase the production of Senate Bill 9 housing units in San Diego. If SB 9 is having a limited impact so far, what changes do you think the legislature should make in order to make it more successful? What's being suggested in the paper is that there needs to be a limitation of impact fees or strategies to ensure that infrastructure could be paid for with new housing units being built. Pre-approved design plans save um, money for homeowners, and that could be implemented at the local level. And really, we're seeing across the state is that set standards or for SB9 units to have the same standards as a single family home or an ADU will significantly increase SB9 production. That was Mohammed Alameldin with the Turner Center for Housing Innovation, speaking with KPBS's Andrew Bowen. Scientists at UCSD have designed a wearable heart monitor they say could take the place of a hospital cardiogram. KPBS SciTech reporter Thomas Fudge tells us about this new device, about the size of a postage stamp. The small monitor adheres to the chest. There it uses ultrasound to create images of heart movement that are transferred to a laptop. Sheng Zhu is a professor of engineering at UCSD. He says along with the images, artificial intelligence analyzes the heart function to determine if it's pumping enough blood. That's the power of AI. If we don't have the AI, then the data needs to be interpreted by those professionals. With the AI, we can automatically process it and give you only simple, you know, actionable information. The monitor is called the ultrasonic cardiac imager. Zhu and a partner expect to commercialize it and market it to hospital ICUs and the general health-conscious public. Thomas Fudge, KPBS News. Coming up, the Comic-Con Museum has a new exhibit now on display. We'll have that story and more next, just after the break. I'm Beth Accomando, KPBS arts reporter and host of the Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm also a geeky gourmet who likes to bake food themed to the movies I watch, like chocolate blood to savor with Dracula, or an extra chewy Wookiee cookie to enjoy with Star Wars. I'm geeky about the things I love, and that makes me a public radio geek as well. 
I love being able to connect with audiences just like you through TV, radio, the web, and podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. So, are you a KPBS geek? If so, then I'm asking you to get in touch with your inner nerd and become a member of KPBS today. Just go to kpbs.org and click the blue Give Now button and make a donation. That's right. Let's geek out together about the things we love. More University of California academic workers are saying they are the victims of retaliation after their historic strike late last year. KBBS education reporter M.G. Perez has more from UCSD. At least 20 graduate student workers have filed grievances against professors at UCSD, claiming they are still being punished illegally for going on strike. Daniel Primash is one of the graduate researchers who were given unsatisfactory grades that could threaten their college careers. And that would prevent me from both signing up for new courses as well as being employed with a research group. So if it's not resolved, could end up kicking me out of the program. Professors accused of the retaliation have denied they did anything wrong, saying the striking workers did not fulfill their assignment obligations while on the picket lines. M.G. Perez, KPBS News. Electric bikes, or e-bikes as they're known, are more popular than ever. But the steep price tag has prevented lots of people from being able to afford them. But a new incentive will soon try to change that. KPBS reporter Claire Strong has more. This is a bigger cargo bike can accommodate two kids. That's Dan Sachs, who owns Carlsbad Bay's Happy E-Bikes, showing me some of the models he sells at his showroom in Encinitas. He's one of the local businesses set to take part in a new statewide program offering people who earn below the poverty line vouchers worth up to $2,000 to buy an e-bike from a California-based retailer. I met Tracy Lothringer as he pulled up on his e-bike for a game of pickleball with friends. He thinks making them available to everyone and reducing the number of cars on the road is a great idea. I think for the good of the entire city, the more people who are able to ride bikes, it's going to be a positive. Especially for a coastal community like Encinitas, it's a very congested area. There's a lot of cars, highly dense. The Electric Bicycle Incentive Project, which has been run by the California Air Resources Board, is due to be rolled out this spring. Claire Strong, KPBS News. SDSU officially launched its Center for Comics Studies last year. One of its goals is to demonstrate the power of comics to foster diversity and identify social injustice. KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando says one way they are accomplishing this is hosting talks on campus. In the 1950s, New York-based publisher EC Comics specialized in crime, horror, and science fiction. But within those genres, it also offered social commentary. Professor and Eisner Award-winning author Kiana Witted explores this in her upcoming lecture, Captions and Corpses, How to Read an EC Comic. I'm going to be talking about a chapter from the book on that company and how they used elements of the comic's form, the actual text and the captions and the dialogue, to relay 
I'm not going to say substantive messages, but because they were known for severed heads and aliens and all of that, but to relay, let's just say, uh, some social and political messaging about racism and anti-Semitism. Subjects that are still relevant today. The free public talk takes place tomorrow on the SDSU campus. More information is available at comics.sdsu.edu. Beth Agamondo, KPBS News. KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando also has details on the newest exhibit on display at the Comic-Con Museum. It's called the Animation Academy from Pencils to Pixels. She tells us what drew her into this latest exhibit. The Animation Academy offers an education in animation through the years, from hand-drawn cells to stop-motion to computer-generated images. It even pays tribute to legendary Disney voice actors like Bill Farmer. This is a very interactive exhibit where you learn about the history of animation, some pioneers in animation you may not know about. There's a lot of hands-on things where you can actually animate things and learn the process. And it's all that behind-the-scenes stuff that you may not know about that really is intriguing about this exhibit. Troy Carlson, CEO of Stage 9 Exhibits that designed the show, has been obsessed with animation since he was a kid making Super 8 movies. He wanted the exhibit to pay tribute to the pioneers of animation. From the early years up to the early computer animation and show the process of animation and show all the work that goes into it and kind of uh, deconstruct the process of animation. He also wants to inspire people to create their own work. So there are interactive stations where you can create your own stop-motion animation, lay out a storyboard, or trace an animation cell. The exhibit provides something for both fans and aspiring artists. Beth Accomando, KPBS News. The exhibit will be on display through September 10th. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great Monday.